and welcome to another edition of the Campus Hunger Project podcast, where we examine the current issues college students are facing when it comes to food insecurity. I'm your host, Monica Sager. Today we are talking with Molly Babin, a student at Middlebury College who is currently serving as a Campus Hunger cohort. Welcome, Molly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. As you mentioned, I'm a student at Middlebury College and I am studying global environmental change with a focus in Latin America. So just to tell you a little bit about what I do, I am really involved in climate justice activism. And as I got more and more involved in kind of the environmental justice scene, I kind of realized how critical it is to be fighting you know, against social injustices and systemic racism and the inequalities that we're seeing around us kind of through a climate lens. And as I've gotten more and more interested and involved in issues around food, I really have noticed the same thing. So yeah, I grew up with my mom. She studies food insecurity. So I grew up with this issue being like a real, a reality, knowing I knew how much of a huge problem it was in the United States um, and in the world. And I started studying food and food systems in my classes. And through my climate justice work, I ended up, you know, finding myself more in the food justice world. So yeah, I, I really value fighting against kind of the inequities that we're seeing at, through kind of a food lens. Now, how does food insecurity relate to climate justice, though? So it relates to climate justice in a lot of ways. Um, One way is that with kind of environmental problems in the climate crisis, our food supply is going to drop like drastically. We're already seeing farms, you know, in Latin America being completely ruined and, and around the world by drought and storms and causing immigration to the United States and other countries. And when these food shortages happen, the inequalities that we see in the world are really going to kick in even more than they are now about who gets access to the food that's left. They are pretty deeply connected. And also we see that the communities that are most impacted by the climate crisis and the communities most impacted by environmental injustices are the same communities that are impacted by food insecurity and food deserts and just that kind of lack of access as well. Gotcha. And then going off of that, food insecurity doesn't just relate to hunger, kind of like what you just hinted at. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? I did research this summer on food insecurity at the University of Connecticut, and I read more than 700 survey responses from students, kind of them talking about their experiences. And one thing I really noticed that fewer students actually talked about like physical hunger than so many other issues that food insecurity creates. You know, that's academics, that's housing, that's social life. But I'll give one example of students talking about having to structure their entire day around their friends swiping them into the dining hall. So it really, you know, can impact students like freedom to move about and structure their day as they want to, which definitely then factors into stress, anxiety and other issues. It definitely makes sense. And with their friends swiping them in, what are other ways that people who are not food insecure can help? You know, I was reflecting on that. And I think one thing is that schools and activists can't expect food insecure students to take on all the labor of advocating 
for themselves, especially as research has shown that students who are food insecure are the ones who also work the most in addition to classes. And that kind of lack of time is really an important consideration. So I think that it is the job of students who are not food insecure, who have more time, who care about this issue and believe that all people have the right to access uh, enough healthy food should be really supporting food insecure students in doing the labor of talking to the administrators and of writing op-eds and doing kind of the work that needs to be done. And also without, you know, covering up the voices of food insecure students, but also not tokenizing those voices and asking students to talk about a problem that they might not feel comfortable. And then looking at your own college, what's it like for a typical student at Middlebury? Middlebury does a lot of things really well that I think a lot of colleges should take a look at and maybe implement their own schools. So I think some of the things that Middlebury does well is that we have an unlimited wipe program for every person who's on the meal plan. So if you're on the meal plan, you can pretty much access as much food as you want to. And also our meal plan is covers pretty much the entire student body except for 99 students this past year. Pretty much, and as I've, I've learned in my research that, you know, meal plans are really one of the biggest ways to prevent student food insecurity. Financial aid does cover the meal plan. It's kind of like a sliding scale. So that's really great. I think that some of the issues we see for students who do experience food insecurity connects to dining hall hours. Dining halls close at like 8.30 at night. And if, you, if you're working late, like you might not be able to access a meal after that. Also, you know, culturally appropriate foods. You know, I definitely think our dining halls tries, but at the same time, it definitely does not cover the full needs of every student, whether the religious foods, culturally appropriate foods, dietary restrictions as well. And I think a big thing that I mentioned and that I'm sure we'll talk about is, is school breaks. So yeah, I think that it's an issue over breaks because dining halls close over, at least over Thanksgiving and in winter breaks dining halls are closed. And as I said, dining halls are one of the biggest ways to prevent food insecurity. Those inequities between students and really come out during school breaks, especially for students who stay on campus. Our school does some programs to try to address this problem, such as if you're on campus over breaks and you are kind of income eligible, our school will subsidize your groceries, which is a really amazing program but as we're seeing from some from a survey that was done this past year, there are still a, there's still a chunk of students who are experiencing food insecurity over breaks. So clearly, this program needs to be expanded. So it's not just this, you know con stu contacting students who are income eligible, but students who feel that they really need it can reach out and ask for it as well. So not to suggest that the 99 students who weren't on that meal plan last year are food insecure, but statistically, at least some of them were. And as you mentioned about breaks, a lot more people are probably food insecure. Are they open to talking about that? Like, is that a conversation that you have at Middlebury often? So I would say no about it being a conversation at Middlebury often. I think that when a food studies professor conducted a survey last year. She also interviewed a bunch of administrators who might have some buy-in about this issue. And what she found from almost all of them was that they didn't even think or know it was an issue. I don't think students ever think about it. When I bring up the project I'm doing, they're like, oh, wow, like, 
is that a thing? And I'm like, yes, it is. But I think that some of the downfalls that come with going to kind of a private college, small private college, is that we do have some issues with kind of elitism. We definitely see a lot of really wealthy students. And I think that from my experiences and my friends' experiences that low-income students tend to kind of feel isolated. And so I don't think there's a lot of space to bring up these concerns in public. I think there's definitely a lot of stigma and, you know, that definitely can be, be an issue. Yeah, we definitely don't see a lot of a lot of conversation about this at all. Do you think that there's a way to start that conversation or almost start breaking down that stigma? I think that once students do hear they are kind of really interested. I think students at Middlebury can be really passionate. And we are having so many conversations now about equity and equality on our campus and how we can be as inclusive as possible. And I think Middlebury has a long, long way to go. But if this becomes part of that conversation of making sure that all students feel comfortable and feel valued at Middlebury, I think a lot of students will want to talk and will care about this issue and in terms of you know spreading the word i've kind of been brainstorming on best ways to do that and i think it's you know just talking to kind of the main student organizations of passionate students and and having these conversations within all those different groups is one of the first ways to kind of get the conversation going now what about during the pandemic has that affected your campus any differently Yeah, so I think the pandemic definitely has made these types of conversations a lot more almost accessible because it it kind of, I think that before the pandemic, not everyone at Middlebury was thinking about students' basic needs, but as soon as the pandemic hit, we were all sent home. A lot of students, you know, were homeless. A lot of students did not have their basic needs met, and a lot of Middlebury students really stepped up to create, I'm not sure if you've heard of like mutual aid spreadsheets or networks. Mutual aid is kind of when you create a kind of network in your community where people can say what they have to give, whether it's food, housing, transportation, childcare, and then other people can say what they need, whether it's those same things. And then those people kind of get linked up and it's a very kind of community-based way of taking care of each other when the government isn't really giving the support that it needs to give. So I think Middlebury students created these mutual aid networks and students were giving out food, housing, transportation, anything that other students needed. Students really stepped up and realized that other students who, who needed certain resources, there were a lot of students who were in need of basic needs and they felt very passionate about doing what they could to make sure all students had that which is really awesome and it definitely will have an impact on my campaign. Can you tell me a little bit about that campaign? Sure. So really looking at what Middlebury needs to do, we definitely focused our attention on um, school breaks. You know, Middlebury, like a lot of schools, is sending all the students home in November for Thanksgiving break. And then we have like a January term and that's going to be online this year. So pretty much students are at home from mid-November to like one week into February. So while, you know, students who are on campus over breaks oftentimes don't have access to food, just, you know, food insecurity is like doubled because of the pandemic and tripled in families. And there are probably a lot more students who are food insecure at home when they're living at home than before. And so one thing we really want to do is 
is create a guide, create a resource for students when they're at home during that like three or two to three month period, um, you know, guiding them wherever they live on how to kind of apply for SNAP since so many more students are probably eligible for SNAP, especially since in a lot of states, the work requirements have been waived, at least in Vermont. Um, find other resources, food pantries, uh, nutrition, systematizing those resources so that like our administration is sending them out to all students going home. So that to ensure that the school takes responsibility for students' well-being during that long break, not only when students are on campus, since it is the school's decision to send all students home for that very long period of time. So that's kind of the first part of what we are planning to do is those resources over that long break. The second part is expanding the program that I talked about with the grocery subsidized groceries for the breaks so that um, it's accessible to all students who need it. And it's way better understood and publicized because at the moment, it seems a lot more when we were trying to learn about it, we heard like four different things from four different people. So it kind of became clear to us that this initiative was not necessarily the most organized and that um, it definitely can be expanded upon. It's really awesome of you. Now, I know that obviously this is a process to do a campaign, but can you walk me through the steps of how you advocate? Yeah, so I think some of the biggest first steps are finding allies, finding adults who work at the college as well as other students who really care about the same things you do and can provide a form of support system and a knowledge base for the issue that you're tackling. So I think that um, the first thing we did is we have a food studies professor who did the survey and she's been helping us come up with ideas and resources and connecting us to all these different people around Vermont who can support us. So that's a really awesome first step. I think the next step is we need to figure out and pinpoint exactly who we want to target to be doing that work. So, you know, identifying the certain people that are able to make the changes that you want to see for that. That's like our Dean of Students. We're also going to talk to dining services. And yeah, I guess after you've kind of asked the people in charge who can do what you want, whether or not they'll do it, I guess then seeing their response, which we haven't gotten to yet, that's kind of where you proceed forward. But in past types of campaigns I've done in my life, once you've kind of found your targets, then that's kind of really where you start to build up your base of support, um, like petitions, meetings, trying to get more and more voices in to try to really change, to really convince the people that your project is worth their time. Um, so yeah, I think that Another kind of tip I have, what I've noticed in my research at University of Connecticut this summer is that sometimes colleges, like they're not going to be moved just by knowing there are food insecure students, which is really upsetting, but that sometimes you do need to make arguments that will they'll more likely make it seem like it's their best interest. So a lot of times using kind of the academic, and as sad as that is, but like sometimes using the academic argument that you know you really care about the academic success of your students and that is completely being prevented by food insecurity sometimes using those arguments knowing what they care about and kind of tailoring your argument to, to what will probably move the people that you're trying to target awesome I love all those tips thank you now is there a final takeaway Molly that you have about food insecurity or advocacy that you'd like to leave with our audience I think that one of the the most interesting things about food is that it connects like i was talking about at the beginning to so many other issues it connects to race it connects to environment 
connects to, you know, even like gender. And so I think that, you know, the reason from what I've, the readings I've done and the research I've done, the reason that people do not have equal access to food is due to these much bigger systemic issues like minimum wage and income and systemic racism, homophobia and transphobia. So I guess what I would say is that no matter where you're putting your efforts, as long as you're working for some form of social justice, you are helping people get better access to food. Absolutely. Thank you so much for talking with us and for all the information and facts that you provided us with. I love all the work that you're doing and it was really valuable to hear from you. Thank you, Monica. You too. That's it for today. I'm Monica Sager. See you next week for our next episode of the Campus Hunger Project Podcast.